If you ask anyone who are the women in Irish theatre for the last 100 years, I think you'd be hard pressed to get a response beyond Lady Gregory. Let's rectify that. Join me as I talk to three Irish female playwrights, some you may have heard of, some you may not have, and discover that there is more to Irish theatre than just Yeats and Beckett. Move over Yeats, it's time to share the spotlight. So on the show today, I'm delighted to have the one and only Mairead Nagrada. Welcome. How are things? Hello. I, it is an absolute pleasure to be on your show today. And oh my goodness, it's so wonderful. And we're here and we're online and it's just mm-hmm. technology. It's, it's fantastic. There's just something so just wonderful about the whole experience yeah it's nice to put like a a face to the name you know like I've been reading a a lot about you and been researching about your different plays in your life and now to see you in front of me is is, it's quite it's quite nice you know how how are you coping with the uh the modern technology because I know that you worked in the radio in the 20s this must be completely certainly did in 1926 I became the first woman organizer on RTE and it was called 2RE back then if you if you believe it or not wow um but it was oh it was just a really just wonderful experience and I was I'm always kind of strangely adapting to things in my life. Like my life never went how I expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And if somebody told me when I was a little girl that I would become the first female radio organizer and um, with RT, I just, I simply wouldn't have believed them. I feel like um, a lot of people, well, where I grew up anyway, in County Clare, you know, you were expected to get married, maybe to a farmer or to a, a businessman in one of the towns, and then just be kind of, to be happy with your lot and that kind of thing. But when I decided to study and go to Dublin, and then suddenly have this career as my insane, wonderful career that I ended up having, I simply could not have expected anything to happen the way it did. And I'm, I'm so blessed mm. to have these opportunities. It's, it's mental though. You talk about your career, but like, I, I can't pin you down. I mean, you worked in the radio, you are a playwright, you are a teacher, you are also a Republican. <laughs> you're, and I've also been it, arrested. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like, you're, you're like, your timeline is like, it's like, accumulation of all these other people's lives just brought into one it's like it's it's crazy um so i think the easiest way to to you know look at your life is maybe go back from the beginning so you said you're from county clare um do you have fond memories of your childhood or oh i had a wonderful childhood i was just so 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 lucky i was so fortunate I was extremely close, especially to my father. And I'm so thankful to him because even though my life never worked out how he sort of expected that it would work out um, in terms of he expected that I would marry the farmer and do, you know, what was expected of women in County Clare at the time. Mm -hmm. But um, he was very supportive and he always encouraged my love of Irish. And I really got my love of Irish from him because when I was younger and we'd be doing things together, we'd always be trying to speak our squelga. And then kind of when I decided that I wanted to become a teacher and I wanted to study Irish and I also studied French and English as well. And 
there was it was a bit strange at the beginning you know with my community and stuff not many girls going to university and going to Dublin kind of like that um but he all in all he once he kind of got over the whole shock of the situation he was very supportive and I I'm, I'm so 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 lucky you know to have that in my life mm-hmm. and, and your and your father is he how what was his reaction when you told him that you wrote some plays in Irish like he must have been you know ecstatic he was he was he was very very ecstatic as you say and very proud but he was also kind of like oh my goodness Marie, do you know what you're doing with our language because it was I suppose when I was writing those plays I was writing them from a place of anger of frustration of how women were being treated and he was of course from the other generation and he was just acquainting himself with all these kind of new ideas and that I was writing about and I suppose as well a lot of kind of the previous writings in Irish were sort of um kind of focused on you know this idea of beautiful Ireland folklore Ireland Yeats's Ireland Kathleen Houlihan and all the rest and suddenly I was writing a story that was quite scandalous I suppose for its time even though it was truthful but I was kind of exposing a different side of Ireland and I think that was something that my father thought was unusual and but he was ultimately very supportive because you know many of my views that I you know got from him and from my mother all stemmed from things that we saw happening in our community and the thing with the women and women disappearing and not knowing what happened to different people's daughters and the whole system of institutionalization and the abuses and the fact that all of these things were happening but suddenly I was using this innocent language to speak the truth about what was happening in the country mm. and um, yeah so it was a bit of a, a strange time for all of us and for my family to kind of you know see what direction I was going in but I think ultimately they were very proud yeah I can imagine I like I can see it from the point of view of your your father that you know he for him you know like as a country it was a young country they just you know they're fighting for in the, their independence and then I suppose he didn't want to admit that there was something you know going on behind the curtains and that's like you know the mother and baby homes and I think it must be difficult for your for your father to watch a play, you know, like on trail and be like, this is not the Ireland that, you know, that people had in their minds when they were fighting against, you know, empire, British empire. And they, you know, I think it must have been very difficult for many Irish people to actually conceive that this is the Ireland that they built. And then your play on trail just, you know. Cause like this is what's happening this is this is a critique of Irish society this is going on under our noses we have to do something about it and yeah but at the same time your dad must have been very happy because it's the Irish language and it's her you know his his little girl is writing such big plays it's uh it's amazing it's so true and that's exactly what you're saying the complexity of Irishness and of Irish society and of kind of the perceived Irishness that my father's generation had and they were fighting for something that they thought was going to be so beautiful and you know the proclamation and the freedom and the freedom to express yourself to be yourself to free yourself of of all of these rules but instead of 
that, what we ended up with was a society that was implementing a completely different set of rules that were just equally absolutely restricting citizens and their, you know, the right to be themselves, to express themselves, to love who they who they were loving, and all sorts of things like that. And I think that's something that I really wanted to show in Ontario because I I know that when I was writing it, I was very I had it was an idea that had kind of been in my head for a very long time, something that I wanted to write about. And it was very interesting because um in as I was got, getting more and more into playwriting, I was discovering um, the works of Bertolt Brecht, for example, um, over in Germany. And Brecht was writing these plays, which were using non-naturalistic strategies to kind of encompass ideas of societal change. And more than that, instead of a passive theater experience where you're sitting down, you're in the abbey, you're enjoying the play. And then when the play is over, you say, what a marvelous play, and then you leave. Brecht, like my play on Thrill, he wanted people to leave the theater and say, no, I, this is something that needs to be done in society. We need to change this. And we have the power as individuals not to fall into those pitfalls that the characters in on Thrill, for example, say, Maura's mother and her brothers, say for example, and the factory owner, to be different from these people and to try and address these people for what they were doing in Irish society. And it's very interesting as well because the man that ended up directing on Triel in 1964 when it first came out, um, Thomas Machina, he was actually um, trained by Brecht's Berliner Ensemble, which is fascinating oh, wow. and Full to have circle. somebody directing it yes who has yeah. the same views as as myself and I felt that it was just a wonderful production because I felt that the the writer the director the actors we were all so committed to telling this story in this particular way and then the way it came out it was it was amazing it was it opened up with brilliant reviews and it's part of the leaving sir crickling now which is a you know a huge honor absolutely crazy i still can't get over it <laughs> that's crazy like, just to think that teenagers are you know are studying your words that's like it's it's mental um yes you were saying as well um about changing society and there i guess there's different ways to change society like one way was like the 1916 rising that was their attempt to change what you know the society that they saw around them but also another way of changing society as you said was writing plays that critique society and uh, this idea of going against you know going against things that you don't agree with is quite common to you so like when you were younger you were arrested can you tell us more about that <laughs> i certainly was and as awful as it is to say this, I it's it's something that I'm strangely proud of <laughs> because what I was arrested for, I felt was just truly um, living out my, I suppose, radical political side and um, something that I guess I've, I've never really suppressed <laughs> in my life. But yes, it was 1921. And I, while I was in college, I had actually um, joined Common Naman and also Conor Nguelga. It's not surprising at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I really, I, I was out on Grafton Street one day and I was selling Republican flags. And then they had the gall to try and arrest me for that. And they did arrest me for that. 
but even though it's it sounds a bit a bit mad Marie Migrada is proud of being arrested but I think when you hear what I was arrested for and kind of all of those wonderful hopes that we had for the new republic I think I think it's forgivable <laughs> oh yeah I, I I definitely think it's for I think it's quite cool to be honest you know it's uh, <laughs> it's going against the system it's very punk you know it's pre-punk yes proto-punk <laughs> Um, and I never changed. Yeah, it's good. It, like, I, it seems like it's been, you know, your whole life has always been, you never, you know, walked down the road that you were, that was built for you. You always went, you know, you went to different avenues and you, you critique society. And that's, you know, I think that should be supported more in our society because we cannot, never should be happy with what we've got if it's not perfect. And we should always wor- work towards a better society. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yes. And pushing for more. And it's so important for women. And I just think as well, like, while society has changed, like, since those days of the mother and baby homes and the Magdalene laundries, for example. But, like, when you see how the recent government are, like, responding to, I guess, the mother and baby home investigations and the commission and the reports and the fact that literally we are still living in the shadows of of the past. And it's it's terrible. And it's such a call on Irish society to do better and to be better. And the fact that politicians are continuing to cover up for their predecessors, it, it makes me so angry. And it's just it, it makes me feel that although we have changed, like there's still there's still that horrible shamefulness that just needs to be obliterated from society for us to move on. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, you're exactly it's it's it sometimes I get a bit angry with with you know Irish politics because I feel like we're very much, you know, still you still have that civil war politics with Sinn Fein and Fianna Fáil and it's just like we should just come together, you know, it's like it's just frustrating. We we, we can do so much better. And um, I feel like, did you feel like we're walking down a path of, of being more inclusive? I hope so. I really, really, really hope so. Because I suppose um, things are so much better in terms of even just to go back to my radio days. I was the first female broadcaster in the whole of Ireland and England, which is madness now when you think of all the wonderful women that we have on television and on radio and you know all over the media and people pursuing their careers and it's wonderful but at the same time we still have that awful you know awful problems not only in those kind of high earner women brackets but in the you know the lower income brackets as well of the gender pay gap and that's something that I really wanted to address in Ontario because while Maura was working in this factory, she was being paid significantly less than any of her male counterparts, yet she was the one with a child to support and no husband to, to support her. And she was doing it herself. And the fact that the state and that the economy and, you know, that these capitalistic businessmen could literally think that it was absolutely fine to pay a woman these inhumane wages while she was doing this kind of work and trying to support a child. And I think the fact that that is still happening in the world today, it just makes me really angry. And it's like, while we're trying to diverge from this path, we still have these obstacles and um, money obstacles in this day and age when we have not only first wave feminism or second wave, but third wave feminism. And the fact that we're still doing this, it, it 
it it makes no sense to me and that the patriarchal control is still intact even years and years after you know we've we've had all these cultural movements mm. we need a new play Maraid. you need to write a new play because <laughs> irish society we i need... definitely i'll have to do a 2021 version of on three like yes, the please. stage yeah <laughs> i think i think it's due um can you can we just talk a bit more about your writing so when did you know writing was something for you because i know you you trained to become a teacher and then you became a teacher but then you wrote a play for your students i did yeah so was writing always in the background for you or did it just pop up when you just saw that oh i want to help these kids learn irish so i'm going to write a play for them yes i that's a very very good question because i think my love of languages like i i studied english i studied irish and i studied french at university and I think with a kind of love of language, you're always intrigued by the literature and by maybe writing your own literature. But I'd never thought of myself as like a, a serious writer in those days or anything like that. And of course, a lot of the work that I had done was kind of academic rather than the creative route. Um, but then when I was teaching the students, uh, I found that a lot of people and it's it's funny, like while we're mentioning my academic work, actually, in the 60s, one of the main Irish um, textbooks was actually written by me. Um, so that was a very wonderful time in my academic career. But it was kind of around that same period when I was doing that kind of academic writing and trying to help people learn Irish, that I realized that actually many people had sort of a block when it came to languages because they, they were confined to the areas of the textbook and the kind of formalized learning of language, which really, when you think about it, it isn't for everybody. And it sort of has, it takes us back to kind of the days where like a language, it's not a living thing anymore. And I, for me, that's something really, really important that Irish could be a language that was a living language that people could speak, they could express themselves and, you know, culturally make statements in. And I think when I decided to write on Ulk for the students, I really wanted them to find a new beauty in the Irish language and to make them think of it as something more than just, you know, the textbooks and the learning grammar and the learning all the verbs and everything. And I, when, when we put it on as a class, I felt such pride because I thought that um, the, many of the students who hadn't really been connecting to the language in the textbook capacity, we're suddenly blossoming and experiencing it and, and, and you know, creating a beautiful art form and a beautiful performance with the Irish language. So that filled me with so much pride as their teacher and also as an Irish language enthusiast. Mm, it's it's a, such a wonderful idea. I wish I wish my Irish teacher when I was a young lad did the same because <laughs> I, I, I've been cursed now. I cannot speak Irish. I know like, you know, the couple of words, but it, it's that whole, you know, it's it's frustrating because it's such a beautiful language you know and it's a very grammatically it's a very difficult language and i think it's awful like that that so many students aren't really getting to experience it in the artistic forms because i think and now i know i'm i'm completely biased because mm. i'm in love with the irish language but i think that as irish people we're such an artistic race of people that kind of having this beautiful language to express ourselves in is just wonderful. But of course, 
the way it's taught nowadays, it, it makes me extremely sad because so many people aren't really reaching that potential um, within their language and they're not getting to enjoy it because they're all these formalized educational obstacles are constantly being put in their way. And I, I think it's terrible. Yeah, that's another critique to modern Ireland as well, isn't it? That the, the the way that they're handling the Irish language is atrocious. Like it's 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 dying as a language, and it's not because you know the people would like to learn it, but it's just the the curriculum, the Irish language curriculum is just it's it's not it's it's not up to par. Um, Very true. And even when people are learning things like poetry and stories, they're learning them, writing essays about them. They're not learning them like experiencing the poetry and feeling the language and performing the language and discussing the language it's all very formalized rote learning all this kind of thing which is something that i think murders the language yeah and it's 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 true because like i don't feel any connection to it and i think the most that i ever got connected to the irish language was when i reading uh, Brian Field translations you know when when he when he talks about like the Irish language is actually like the consciousness of, of Ireland and how when everything was translated like the the towns that all have histories attached to the Irish name and when when they were all anglicized like it turned into English that part of the Irish soul was you know murdered almost and for me then I was kind of like oh yes this Irish language is part of the Irish consciousness the Irish soul and that's and it's very, you know, look, Brian Friel, the way he writes, was very, um, very touching and it made me want to learn Irish. And and then reading, it'd be lovely to read on Triel in Irish as well, because I only read the English version. So I feel like I'm missing out on, on a certain aspect of it, not reading it in the original. It's very true. And I would totally agree with your um, analysis of Friel. He's a wonderful writer and somebody I would very much like to meet and perhaps work with. <laughs> You that know. would be amazing. We should get this. We should, we should get the ball rolling on this. I mean, oh, that would be wonderful. He'd be the type of writer now that I would want on my radio show when I was doing it back in the twenties. Oh, wonderful times. Yeah. But I totally, I totally understand that, and I think as well, um, what you were saying about the the language and the soul of the language. As Irish people, we have a really, really rich, beautiful heritage. And we have this beautiful Irishness that other people of different nationalities, while they have beauty and all sorts of different other wonderful things, the Irishness is just something that's completely unique to all of us. And I think as well, when when you're writing in the native language, there are little nuances that are never going to be truly translated into English, say for example, or French or any of the other languages. Um, I know when I was writing um, um, the passages and the scenes with Maura and her mother, there is a lot of unspoken tragedy, unspoken shame there. And I think even the words of the language make it all seem sharper, more intense, more suffocating than when you're reading it in English. It loses some of the kind of cruelty that was deeply embedded in those words like those insulting words in Irish are almost far more insulting than their English counterparts because there's a sharpness to the language and to the tone and for me that kind of just created the whole body of the scene that the language was representing the tension between these two women and this absolute obstacle and that the mother will never 
ever let herself understand what's happened to her daughter. And I think the Irish language really enhances that tension. Mm. No, yeah, I, I can imagine that because sometimes when you read like, you know, Dostoevsky, originally written in Russian, like you, you feel you're missing out or, or Camus in French, like I wish I could know French so I could read Camus. So yeah, I, I can definitely see that being a thing. Um, what was it about, because you seem, you're like incredibly gifted writer. You, you, as you said, you wrote textbooks. What was it about plays that appealed to you most? Like why was it not um, novels or poetry, for instance? That's a very, very good question. I think, I think as Irish people, I know I, I'm I'm obsessed with us Irish people, but I think we have a huge gift for storytelling with an audience. And um, while writing novels is wonderful, you feel that when you're in the room and you see your work being performed, there's just a magical connection, and this you're telling a story and people are here and they're receiving it, and you have this beautiful moment of what the acting practitioner Stanislavski called communion and um, you have this gorgeous moment of all these people in a room together or witnessing a story living a story breathing a story and I just think that is something just so wonderful and while you can achieve that with a novel and you will hear people like I know myself there are certain novels that literally changed my life and um, you know when you read them and certain works and certain practitioners and that's wonderful but it's very very private and it's it's very much kind of in the individual because mm -hmm. the sense of community that you have when you're in the theater is just something just so wonderful that I just think you know whatever we do with film and when things you know all sorts of different technological mediums for telling stories I think the liveness of theater the audience the relationship between the performers and the audience and the, the relationship between the writer and the performers and how they interpret the characters it's just something so it's it's really really just wonderful it's both intimate and community at the same time and it's just so many wonderful contradictions that just make it such a fascinating thing to be a part of and to write for mm. and like the theater is very much within the irish tradition i mean before we had the the the, the british inspired theater pieces you also had like the murmurs like the murmurs used to go into their the cottages and they used to be like do plays of St. Patrick so it's like it's it's been part of like Irish culture for generations and it's it's fascinating and it, I, I also I always find when I go to the theatre like the, the rawness of it the, the the way that the actors are in front of you and they're playing a part it's 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 something that you don't get in films and films you always have a sense that oh it's a screen and like these Hollywood people far away are playing these these parts Whereas in a theatre piece, you're in front of them and you see the actors and they're playing the part. It's it's like it comes to life in front of you and there's something magic about that. Absolutely. And I think as well to go back to, to Brecht, um, when you're in a theatre and you're watching something that's uncomfortable, say, for example, like the scene where Porrick shuns Maura or the scene where Maura is going into the Magdalene laundry, for example, while if you're watching that as a film you might switch it off or you know if it's making you uncomfortable it's so easy to step back and get away from it and back into your comfort zone but what Brett essentially wanted us to do with his work and what I want to do with my work is that moment that you have to watch it you're there in the room you can't like you can look down but 
that you're not going to stop hearing the story, that you are in this uncomfortable position where you're realizing and you're relating to these characters. And you're also perhaps relating to the characters like the mother or like Porik. And you know that they're the villains or the antagonists of the piece. But still you have to watch this uncomfortable um, experience and you have to watch the vulnerability of the characters. And I think that is something that really shows the empathy of the theater and the fact that you can leave the theater as Brecht wanted us to do with the burning ambition to try and change things in the small way that you can, even if it's just um, treating people with more humanity. If, if we all did that, we wouldn't have any of these problems. Mm, that would be nice, wouldn't it, if we all treated each other with humanity? <laughs> It'd be a yeah. much nicer world. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I just wonder as well, because th- this is a part of a podcast series, and uh, I've been interviewing Teresa Devi and um, Margaret O'Leary. I wonder what what's what's your uh, feelings on, you know, the 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 main Irish canon is very much male dominant. What's your what's your feeling feelings towards that? To be perfectly honest, it is something that never ever fails to just irritate me, because I feel that if this moment of time, say for example, when as you were saying, Margaret and Teresa, when they were writing. There were very, very, very few women getting their plays put on the Abbey, for example. And when we think back and we have Lady Augusta Gregory here in Galway, and she was wonderful. But the fact that she was silenced um, through her work and even through her collaboration in Cochin the Hulahan, we always hear about it um, through the lens of Yeats, even though all of the intricacies of the language and reflecting the reality of the people that she was writing about and that they were writing about together. All of those contributions came from Lady Gregory and her going to visit different people and mimicking how they spoke and the type of phraseology and their language. And I think as well, when we're looking at that time frame and how rare female writers were that were becoming successful, but why it angers me today is, is a bit different because we all know now the impact that Lady Gregory had, say, for example, in Katrina Hulhorn. Yet at the moment, we are trying to encourage women to write and to pursue the creative arts. But at the same time, we are creating this canon, which is founded in the patriarchy. And while in the past, many women were writing under a pseudonym or a nom de plume, for example, um, now women are writing in their own names and they are writing from the feminine perspective, yet the whole canon and the academia that underpins that aren't actually recognizing the women for the true artists that they, that they were and that they are. And that's something that really angers me because history has shown us what happens when you know we try to suppress women and the absolute wonderful things that women can do in society yet we're still somehow living in the past through creating these male-dominated canons and i think as well when we have the luxury of the archives and of revisiting these female works we should be using them and we should be teaching them to people who are in academia or in university or simply wanting a cultural education and experience because you never know what different works will inspire new works and that's something I love about this career because 
as I've already mentioned many times, I've been so influenced by the Irish language and by Brecht and by so many different people. Um, and my work wouldn't be as it is today if those people didn't make that beautiful work before I came along. Um, and I would love to think that somebody would read on Triel and suddenly be inspired to write something in Irish or to write something about the institutional past or something about feminism. And for me, that's why I think it's really, really important to have a mixed and diverse canon. And equally now, so many Irish people aren't, you know, Caucasian, you know, long history of being in the country. So many Irish people are people whose parents, you know, are from all around or they're from all around, but they, they're now Irish citizens. And we should be showing their work in our Irish canon as well, because they're just showing us a different perspective of Irishness. But, you know, no perspective is right and no perspective is wrong. And we should be seeing all perspectives of people living in Ireland and having the citizenship and understanding what the culture is like. No, no I think that's yeah. very important. No, that's that's very important that you say that because I feel like sometimes like the whole idea of what is Irishness and sometimes it is associated with whiteness and it's just that's just utter ridiculous and you know and then it certainly is. It's yeah. very and then the the idea with literature as well like that's associated with like the male thing with Yeats and you have Beckett and it's very frustrating and Ireland is so much bigger than that and better than that and it, it I feel like it's it's the duty of everyone in Ireland to 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 you know to to support these you know artists who don't happen to fit this you know box absolutely and what i think as well is so many women were actually doing things before the men were but the men were the ones who got the credit for it now although i absolutely adore the work of brian freel we can't forget that the whole idea of the in philadelphia here i come that wonderful play where he had the private gar and the public gar the first person to actually do that dual persona in Irish theatre was actually Mary Manning in, in Youth for Season in the 1930s. Okay. So a good 30 years before, um, a woman was doing something very revolutionary and very avant-garde on the theatre, but yet it was 30 years later and a male figure does something similar. And he is represented as being the genius who essentially discovered this new literary device. Um, so I think there's so many, there's so much complexity there yeah. and we need to address and explore and yeah, just give, give the women the credit for the wonderful things they've, they've done. Yeah, exactly. That, that should be written in posters everywhere and <laughs> put on all buildings in Ireland. Oh, if I was a TD, it certainly would. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting, Maureen, if you become a politician, that'd be very interesting. Oh. Absolutely. Well, I have a little bit of experience. I worked as a secretary to Ernest Blythe in the, oh, in the did, 20s yeah. and 30s. <laughs> yeah, genie. We didn't even didn't get a chance to even to talk about that. I mean, I feel like you there has to be a, a big, huge, massive autobiography because it, there's just too much. <laughs> there's too much to talk about. Um, I guess before we go to a close, I just want to ask, is there any modern day writers that don't necessarily have to be Irish, but that you have you know that you have a fondness for or that you feel like it it's something that you would write yourself in in if you were writing in the modern day mm, that is an excellent an excellent question there's so many like there's so I, I love seeing Irish women and I love seeing them you know reach their full potential and explore that and even when you see like I suppose a lot of um Louise O'Neill's work 
would be kind of along the vein of what my work was doing in the 60s, hers was doing in the 2000s. And um, I know that a, a story that really, really resonated with me was asking for it. And the fact that she actually made that into a play and it was shown in the Abbey as well. It just makes me so, so proud that she could tell that kind of a story about a girl, not unlike Maura, who is trapped by the patriarchy and who is stifled and abused and on so many levels, not just the physical abuse or the sexual abuse, but abused through the law, through the legal system, through society, she's ostracized. It's the same type of story. And I think the fact that we're still telling those stories is just such a negative indication of our society because we should, you know, we should not still have that kind of entrapment and those kind of problems, but yet we still do. But I think that writing about them and talking about them, it opens up a dialogue in the community and it opens up an awareness. And I think that's really, really important. So I definitely am a huge admirer of, of Louise's work. I think she's wonderful. Okay, I, I don't know much about Louise myself, so I need, to, I need to branch out a bit more, I think. And uh... She's wonderful, yeah. She's got a real, um, she writes in such a readable um, way. It's so, you know, conversational. It's so relatable, um, especially for young people in Ireland today. And I just, at the same time, she's tackling these major themes that are just so cutting edge, and I'm, I'm a huge admirer of her work. Well, that's fascinating. I mean, I'm sure Louise would be happy with that, with the, the Marade stamp of approval. That, that's uh, quite a big, big stamp. Um, that, that was amazing, Marade. I feel like we could talk for hours and it would be nice to talk for hours, but I guess there has to be a, a you know, there has to be a, a finishing point, <laughs> Absolutely. I guess. Absolutely. I think I'd be from um, Blarney with my gift to the gab, but <laughs> <laughs> we have it in County Clare as well. Oh God, it, it was just, it was such an amazing talking to you, Maraid. And um, I feel it, it, I feel like it's very important that people who are listening to this, you know, if they don't know anything about you, that they should, you know, read the work, read on trail if they haven't already. And that goes with the other, the other uh, playwrights in this series, because I think it's important, as you said, that we, we, you know, acknowledge that there is more outside the, the canon that is famous. And um, yeah. Thanks for meeting Marid. Absolute, an absolute pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on the show. It's the most wonderful experience. It was... I would say it takes me back a few years. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, it's like, I feel, I feel like I, I'm not, you know, I don't feel like I'm professional enough to do this. Like I'm actually talking to a radio person. So it's like, <laughs> I'm sure you're like tweaking all my interview styles and stuff. <laughs> oh no, it's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> You'll be Thanks. going for tea next. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a million, Marie. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Just to let you know, these are fictional conversations based on real women played by actors. Maraid was played by the wonderful Laura Hutchinson. I would like to thank Eve Holcomb for her support and editing and to Kira Murphy for giving me this opportunity. Slán.